Oh, amazing. Wait, I'm so glad you picked this. Okay, great. It's the only good thing about this chapter. Let's do it. Are you ready? Mm Mm-hmm. Penny did not weep, but her eyes were red and miserable, and she never lifted them from crunch. Does she think all this might fade away if she does not look at it? Sir Jorah Mormont looked at no one. Let's try that again. Sir Jorah Mormont looked at no one and nothing. He sat huddled, brooding in his chains. Tyrion looked at everything and everyone. Welcome back. 2020, 2020, Tyrion looked at everything and everyone. We've been through... A lot of years in this podcast, but now a new decade. Even though uh, every set of 10 years from the year before, or even from the day before, from the hour before, from the minute before, there's always a decade in there somewhere, but there's something special about these numbers. I've got some balloons in my windows, and they read 2020, and they've been up since New Year's (laughs) Eve. I can't let go of it. Are those balloons up there to remind you, like, keep an eye on the prize? It's kind of like that, but it's also just a reminder that so much time has passed. Um, some of it unbeknownst to me, some of it just kind of like, uh, I think the same sensation that everyone might be feeling, that kind of weird, where has the time gone feeling? And it's cool to have it up there in the window reminding me that, hey, this is these this is those years. You remember 2013? You remember 2015? You remember Hard Home? It's kind of like how people have Christmas trees that they leave up after Christmas. And yes. I've been seeing them in the streets here just tossed against other trees there are so many people who have them up in their windows still well that's that's my version of that with the balloon i'm glad we're making a new episode though i know hannah said that there was only one good thing about this chapter earlier and that was the (laughs) quote that i pulled for us to talk (laughs) at the very beginning but i disagree i think that it was a for me especially after spending time with and i'm assuming everyone who's listening to the podcast right now is in the same boat because you've been listening stalwartly to all of our episodes over the summer especially after the end of game of thrones after we were in Marine for the Winds of Winter sample chapters, I loved going back. And I know that that's not the same sensation everyone experienced, especially reading this the first time, coming off the momentum of like, why is Penny still here? If you're doing your first reread, or sorry, your first read, but on a reread, this was all really satisfying. It's funny. I had a good time because with it. I felt like, not that we backed ourselves into a, a weird corner, because. I don't want to say it that dramatically, but we did the Winds of Winter chapter for Tyrion just a couple months ago. It was in the mm-hmm. fall. So that was not that long ago where we really see the fallout. Okay. Number one, this chapter is kind of boring, like period. It's kind of a filler chapter and that's fine. Not a lot of action happens necessarily, but there's a lot of really cool atmosphere, scene setting. We see some interesting things happening, which we'll get to, blah, 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 blah. So it's not really an action-packed chapter in the first place. And then in the second place, it has only been, what, a couple weeks, months since we've seen the fallout of all of this. And so none of it matters anymore Mm -hmm. because literally nothing in this chapter matters anymore because we've moved so far past it. So I was reading this chapter and I was just like, how am I supposed to be stressed out about who Brown Ben Plum is to Tyrion? Because I already know what that is. I was stressed out when they were getting hit, though, by the slavers and thinking about the nurse being a little bit more violent toward them. Just the sort of like the small moments, the stuff that's uh, sort of human between them. And I was touched by moments of Tyrion comforting Penny when he didn't need to, like telling her the collar that was being struck on her was solid gold and giving her reasons Mm -hmm. why that wouldn't be such a bad thing. He says that. Ladies back in Westeros are, uh, you know, they pine over objects like that. That's really important to them. Just small moments like that, I think, still connected me to sort of, I don't really know what the word would be, like caring about it in real time. But yeah, you're right. A lot of the stuff that we're talking about hasn't been resolved. But I mean, at the same time. It's my pessimistic view. I shouldn't like come out guns a blaze and be like, who cares dot com. You mean the the Cybass game didn't have you tied to the edge of your seat i mean i think that if we want to talk about cybass as a uh analysis or analogy for Tyrion's journey through through the books it's like another piece of that and i think that some of the things that we learned about brown ben plum like he makes some interesting comments about him playing not to lose yeah that was really interesting interesting for me and kind of getting rounding out his character a little bit more in a very in a little bit more of an intimate way. I agree. It's good. I'm not saying all of it is a wash. I'm just saying I was like, wow, we know so many so many answers to this already. I went back, but and it's very atmospheric. 
I went back and looked at Brown Ben Plum's genealogy just to get a, a small refresher on him. And you know how he claims to have a couple drops of Targaryen blood? Or he claims to have one, and then Tyrion later analyzes it, and he's like, eh, you might have more than one. This guy, as of what all of our friends in the world that are obsessed with the Song of Ice and Fire like we are have put together on the internet, this guy, I don't remember the address, um, but there's a family tree for him somewhere, and it shows all of his connections that people have compiled, like I said, from the source material. Brown Ben Plum is somebody in some strange way. I don't know if that matters. <laughs> is, that what the, is that why you brought up his family tree? Yeah, because I mean, I guess that's the thing, right? If he's if he's he was not telling false tales. I just find him so interesting in this, especially after being so fresh off of this chapter and knowing his approach to the game of Cybass and thinking about how he defected from Daenerys and how he eventually goes and says, hey, hey, this is why I defected. And what he does, like to make he, making deals with Tyrion later, getting promised large sums of money, uh, a castle and a lordship uh, in Westeros, because a Lannister always pays his debts. Tyrion's like signing before they let him off or rather let, let him join the Second Sons. And this, again, we're talking ahead, but I think it gives a little bit of perspective on the character. Tyrion's like signing away all these promises. And I just, I don't know, there's, there's so much space there. And I really enjoy this character. And I think it was cool to see him face to face with, with Tyrion right in front of his new master and to see Tyrion sort of like go to work and do his job. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I also think it's cool how we are introduced to him in a subtle way at the beginning of the chapter without knowing who it is mm-hmm. at first. Oh, yeah, that was scary. I, th- I think it's really cool because so the beginning of this chapter is Tyrion and Penny up on the blocks being auctioneered off as slaves. They're at the and... mouth of the Skahazadon, by the way. So you can see, just to set the stage, you can see Marine in the distance. Go. Yes. So they're being auctioned off and there's a bunch of different bidders who are or are not bidding until the bid gets extremely high, which is something that Tyrion kind of also helps to prod along in the hopes that because it gets to the end of it and he's realizing that there's people here who probably know who he is. And so he's trying to get them to bid on him so then he could then plot his escape because it's a long way home. But I think it's cool to kind of see Brown Ben Plum participating in that, but without us really understanding who that is yet, or at least not explicitly being told yeah, it was who these people are. Definitely mysterious. And it, that was, for me, a really—I don't feel like this this chapter is throwaway. And I know a lot of people feel that way about—it's not, it's not just a, a comment that you're making because you're— you're bored because you really want the ones of winter. But I think a lot of people read A Dance with Dragons and A Feast for Crows and they they get caught up in the momentum and the amount of characters, especially imagine when you're in the ship riding down the Rhoyne, you're just keeping up with all the new character names and trying to figure out what exactly is happening. And I guess I'm talking about your first read. Let's say that you're a new fan of the series or you were new enough not to have to wait between books four and five. You blaze through four. And you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe Lady Stoneheart's going to do what? And then you blaze through five and not a lot of that is touched and you're kind of annoyed all the way. Well, Tyrion 10 is around the point where you start to get annoyed about not having answers to what's happening with Lady Stoneheart and where the hell are the White Walkers. And there's more of this. But I really found that moments like the auction and having the – the cropped beard and the, you know, the small descriptions of the Westerosi men just sort of in the eaves of this – Really interesting setup that I think George painted beautifully. There's a lot of really uh, curt descriptions from Tyrion. He's not really impressed with a lot of this. I mean, if you think about what they just went through, they were captured by slavers after that storm, and uh, it's not been fun, right? Like uh, Tyrion's been a captive this whole time, so it's probably not that much different for him. And that's why I think a lot of those, the descriptions are curt and why I think he's not, like I said, he's not that impressed with the situation. He's just sort of been, after he killed his father, he's just sort of been despondent in this way. And after hanging out with Fagon and seeing more of him interacting with things like Cybass and different parts of the world that mystified him and connected to pages of his youth, I think that he's just kind of like, okay, what's going to happen? I'm going to see what happens. And he finds ways to sort of amplify the position that he's in and to make it better. But he's not too tied to – like it's not – he doesn't care, it seems like. it just It's not that important to him. But he notices when those men are back there that 
he can take advantage of the situation. And he doesn't think that being taken back to Cersei is a good thing, but he's like, eh, it's a long way back there and I might be able to convince them like I did Bronn. So he's just sort of mm-hmm. like, it's like he's almost playing Sivas with his own life. Like there's no, like nothing bad will happen or, or rather nothing too terrible for him to really sit and consider his actions too much is happening. And I think that that's like a, a cool momentum for Tyrion to be putting out into the world or rather feeling for himself. It's not like fun or safe. It's really dangerous, but Tyrion is really dangerous right now. And all these people are really dangerous. Being outside Marine right now is really dangerous. Being this East alone is really dangerous. And we're buying and selling people. The person that is sold after Tyrion is a 15-year-old girl who's immediately stripped naked and sold as, I'm assuming, probably some kind of sex slave that eventually pours wine when you're finished. And uh, when Jorah goes up on the block, he's got a swollen and bruised face. His back has been ripped up from whips. This is not fun. It's dangerous. There's nice people dressed in yellow that eventually Tyrion's going to get bought by and you know, there's the crone who has her nice method of bidding one golden dragon or one silver higher rather than everyone else, which is kind of an annoying thing. It's just George's balance of realism, like with the different characters he paints, but also this like creeping suspicion in the back of the group, which is Tyrion's opportunity for a potential out. I found to be it was masked within its friendliness with Tyrion's. Oh, he was OK with the situation, but the danger was was pretty evident but he just wasn't caring about it and it was fun to Mm -hmm. see him play with that tension well i think it's interesting that you describe him as not caring about it because i i do think that that's the case but you look at this quote that you read at the beginning of the chapter where he's Tyrion looked at everything and everyone with someone like jorah who truly is at a point where nothing matters to him and how he just has completely given up Nothing matters to somebody like Jorah anymore because of the position that, he, like, because of the news that he gets about Daenerys. And Do kind you of really like, think it's because Daenerys has already been married? I think that that plays a part in it. I mean, I don't. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like Jorah's a singularly focused character, but I think that after everything he's been through and kind of what he's trying to accomplish, that probably took the wind out of his sails a little bit. It just seems so weird. If you didn't read the chapter, Jorah heard anecdotally. I'm guessing at some point with the slavers or was it at, was it after that when they were on their way back to the camp? I can't remember exactly, but at some point it's somewhere along the way he overheard that Daenerys had been married. I can't remember if he heard it was specifically to his daughter or not, but we're sort of led to believe by the descriptions of people around him and maybe even Tyrion himself that Jorah is completely lacking any energy or fire or focus because Danny's been married. And it's like, what did you think was going to happen? I know. The fact that she's now married means that you guys officially can't continue your romance. Something like, that what, wasn't happening what, anyway. I don't get it. I just think that after everything Jorah's been through, the hell that he's put himself through, really. that's And he's like so close to, well, not really, but sort of, physically so close to being back in her graces and then to hear that i think after everything that's just like the last straw potentially i mean who knows what he's thinking but i just think that to see he i mean he clearly has had like the life knocked out of him the wind knocked out of him as as he's being carried away to slavery so weird i think it's Jorah, the guy who's exiled from westeros for slaving is now a beaten and bloody slave and just kind of, maybe that's what he was doing. He was just thinking about, oh, wow, the symmetry to this is overwhelming. Life comes at you fast. Yeah. Why did I bring that up? I can't remember. Something about Tyrion. Weird. Well, yeah, he was the topic of this chapter, actually. This is his 10th chapter in A Dance with Dragons. Interesting. And uh, he has been dancing his way across Essos. I really (laughs) liked how he took the moment when the, I forget what was said to him, uh, oh, the the crone was talking about – she was basically trying to get a better deal for these people. At, at first, there was a a bidding war. I forget who who was sold before Tyrion, but whenever he and Penny went up, they were sold as a set with the dog and with the pig because they're a show and we do this whole thing. They were selling pretty well. And I, it's probably because it was so weird, but also it's four – it's four things. I know that he, Tyrion was impressed that they had originally, whenever the bidding started, to pick up. He was like, oh, we're just as valuable as a sailor. 
Right. And I know that that's really useful right now. And especially being at the edge of war, like how much could we really appreciate people who are meant solely for entertainment that are going to be taking resources, but they were bought by the most wealthy person in Yunkai, or at least the most, most wealthy wise master before it ticked up to the full amount of the auction, like before everyone, before everyone heard Tyrion talk and start to raise attention and to bring a little bit of excitement to everyone's lives. The crone was talking about how he had a chunk missing out of his nose and how his eyes were mismatched and how this kind of spoiled the deal. And his response was, you've missed the best part of me or you're not talking about the best part of me and grabs at his crotch. Then he's whipped quintessential Tyrion. But in that moment, that's where everything opened up for him the possibility for like it, he caught Brown Ben's attention and then the, the bid started going up very much. And then it started to get really exciting. The pacing was cool. And I liked how the facts unfolded with everyone all mm -hmm. up until the moment where Penny was questioning Tyrion having Jorah when he, when Tyrion added to nurse, he was like considering, should I do this or shouldn't I do this? And says, Hey, our show is actually, made much better by having our bear in the bear and the maiden fair skit. What are we going to do without our bear? And within a few seconds, Tyrion's thought makes Jorah's life completely different. And I like to see how George paced the, that information traveling and then seeing how Penny took it was really interesting to me. She was like, why did you do that? So just a little bit of, friction but not mm -hmm. enough for it to stop so seeing like where the power is within their group and seeing how important Jorah was and wondering why Tyrion decided to save his life like that yeah that was also what I was gonna say is that I think Penny's response is slightly warranted because I do think that Tyrion making that split decision as he's driving away it's like um it's almost like a movie as you can see him like I don't know a, <laughs> it just reminded me of something really dumb like you know how in some movies that you watch as a kid where like there's a, ki a boy who has a dog and like he's driving away looking at the dog really sadly he's like barking and is really sad yeah and then he like calls for him to come he's like actually you're coming with us and it's like yes this Whoa. is so exciting everyone's so happy i don't know why that's what i was picturing picturing but um that would be that the saddest story ever if you had to move yeah. somewhere and leave your dog behind yeah, but haven't you seen like so like so many movies like that? Oh as a my kid? god, Hell Caesar, one of the greatest moments in, in cinema. Hannah, <laughs> one of the greatest moments in cinema. It's a Coen Brothers on. movie. It's a recently it's recently released. And I'm really sorry. I mean it came out I think in like twenty fifteen, so it's not that new. I'm not gonna this isn't a spoiler for anyone, like a big spoiler, but there's a moment in it where they're in a raft or something, like a canoe or something. And on the coast of Malibu, just like a football field's length out off of uh, the beach in the water. And Channing Tatum is one of the people in the ship. And they're a group of communists, right? A submarine. They're going out there to meet a Russian submarine that's come to pick up Channing Tatum because he's an influential member of their communist group because he's an actor wow. in old Hollywood. This is a movie set in old Hollywood, right? I guess not all of these adjectives are necessary, but hey, <laughs> the submarine races out of the water, right? Channing Tatum, the the view uh, cuts to the side, like when Euron was about to push Balin off the bridge, cuts to the side, and uh, Channing Tatum beautifully like arcs from the because he's like a dancer. He arcs from the canoe to the uh, submarine. I don't know if I can talk about this without tears streaming out of my eyes because it's so beautiful. <laughs> he lands He lands on the submarine and his little dog who he brought with him because he loves him so much, right? Mm -hmm. Just starts yapping, like barking, like, what are you going to do? Like, leave me? Yeah. Right? He's like, and he's telling, I forget the dog's name, but it's like an epic moment with pretty music, but... To a guy that owns a yappy dog, the way that he's punishing him, like telling him to stop. You know how when you tell your animal or when you hear someone punish their kids or something, people use a voice that they wouldn't normally use in normal company. It's kind of like mean and a little bit rough. Like, mm -hmm. no, no. Yes. Yeah. He immediately goes into that voice telling his dog to stop. And then the dog can't help it. He loves his owner so much. And who wouldn't if you were owned by Channing Tatum? He, I know, right? He, he leapt. The dog leapt with him. And jumped across it, and he caught him, and he took him with him to Russia. Oh, Beautiful. See, 
That is really beautiful. So that's kind of what this was. Yeah, I don't know why it reminded me of one of those things because neither of those things are. That was <laughs> like George R. R. Martin's version of that, but, but it was in a <laughs> twisted like corner of the mirror needs not where people are getting just just a good one to grow on whip on the back, raw flesh yeah. tearing from your body. Bloody flux is a few splits. yards away. Split second decisions that I thought was kind of interesting. So well, that's the the essence of the decision. These choices that our characters are making. That's the essence of who they are moving forward. So I was not only interested in Tyrion's decision because, like you said earlier, we already know about that, and I kind of already know that Tyrion's not all the way bad deep down. But knowing about Penny's aversion to it was interesting. Not that I'm worried about any ulterior motives from her, and it's obvious that Jorah wasn't very nice, and she probably saw Jorah beat the shit out of Tyrion a bunch, but. Yeah, and she's just, known Jorah for like 15 someone, minutes. It's tough. She hasn't known him for very long. She doesn't have a history with him either, you know? So it's like, although I guess Tyrion doesn't really have an allegiance to him necessarily, but it's like, Penny has no, only known this guy as her captor, basically. I mean, as somebody who's not treating them very nicely. So it's like... Right. But Tyrion grew up in a really civilized household, even though they were terrible people and they did horrible stuff to members of their own family and to people that worked beneath them. There's this weird semblance of education around him where he just doesn't want to leave a life sent off to the side. Especially someone who's so broken. But at the same time, choke out Shay with the gold necklace, no big deal. And is also thinking <clears throat> about it a couple chap a couple paragraphs after this. Mm -hmm. As he puts the you mentioned you referenced um talking about when Penny has to put the collar on he's trying to comfort her basically and telling her that this is what fancy people do and then he has one of those flashbacks yeah he's that's what a convenient thing to pop in your head as you're getting a collar put around your neck that is cool that is just ace writing by George R. R. Martin to sort of he's not doing the the normal thing where it's like let's make the scale of this very epic it's just I can see the the gardening strategy that he has in his writing it's just when you put a slave collar on, what a convenient time for for Tyrion to think back to that moment. I mean, why would right. why wouldn't it haunt him like that? Although it haunts <laughs> Tyrion, doesn't necessarily need any sort of callback moment to be haunted by his decisions. That's that, true. that he's made, and we don't but either. Yes. But it adds to the the texture of the whole story, you know. And it's yeah. just kind of visceral when he's thinking about such a violent thing while using jovial language throughout the chapter and pretty much always after or at least now in a dance with dragons well and it, it kind of um it's interesting that it always has that reaction even though we've seen it a couple times and we'll continue to, to see it again that um we still kind of get that visceral, visceral reaction to it the cell so they make the purple it cloak turned back his eyes met Tyrion's across the rows of other bitters and he smiled a warm smile that the dwarf reflected friendly but my those eyes are cold might be i don't want him to buy us after all and uh he was not bought by them because they couldn't keep up with yezinzo kagas's deep coin deep pockets he says bold yolo bright penny this is the nurse you are the property of the noble and valorous yezinzo kagas his little treasures. Scholar and warrior, revered amongst the wise masters of Yunkai, count yourself fortunate for Yezin is kindly and benevolent master. Think as, think of him as you would your father. Mm. <laughs> I'm so glad to have a new daddy. Tyrion does so well with them. <laughs> yeah, <he's>, exactly. <laughs> it's like, well, isn't Penny's father, isn't there something, did we get in one of the chapters somewhere like Penny's father also isn't great? Or maybe that's just like Tyrion projecting onto onto all of that. But he he mentions something about Penny's father in this chapter when he was uh, looking at Penny and reflecting that her father had a lot to answer for in the small sized hell somewhere. Oh yes, for her yes, to yes, like yes, make yes. it make it here. Yes, sad. But a lot of people don't do not like that character, or at least a lot of people on the internet. I haven't had a lot of conversations with people about Penny necessarily. It's usually more. Tied to just the idea of Fagon and the the stuff that they see going down the Roin, but maybe Ice and Firecon this year will be like, "Hey, what do you guys think about Penny?" And see how people, that opens up. What do people not like about Penny? I think it's like what I said earlier. I think people are a bit overwhelmed by the scale of travel when they had just seen Tyrion in King's Landing killing his dad. It's so epic, and uh, Illyrio. That was that was pretty cool, and now we're on a boat. And who are these people? They just it just doesn't seem like they would be anyone but passing characters. And I think deep down in people's minds that they'd rather see Tyrion associated with 
Daenerys. They want to see him standing right beside Daenerys. They want to see him. I think that's one of the reasons why my curiosity got so piqued in this chapter when there was men from Westeros, Westerosis, men who spoke the common tongue, not these weird people from the East, which that's like kind of slightly racist, right? Like of course. around that, uh, oh, now real stuff is going to happen. Not just people who are interested and, in, you know, weren't there people just like hanging out with fans and stuff at the slaving thing? Like this is the highlight of my day, not what I'm going to do with these slaves, but this itself is the whole point that I'm alive. This is what we do out here and we're playing at war over here. Check out our pavilions. I think that there's just some kind of like built-in um, prejudice against, at least when you're reading a book like this, where it's it doesn't seem like a lot is going to happen with these kind of characters because they're not necessarily leaders. Or main characters in any sense of the word. But in some of the best stories, these characters, unbeknownst to you, I'm thinking of like the Dark Tower and a, a, a dog like Oi, there's this... Uh, there's like this weird race of animals called Billy Bumblers and there are dogs that can kind of talk. It's like post-apocalyptic future. And this dude ends up being one of like the the best people in the whole series. And you think, oh, this is just going to be an off the side sort of, you know, like maybe the author was like, who knows what they were doing right now, but I definitely don't need to remember this. But now look, Penny is still in the story and she's still important and we don't know exactly what's going to happen yet. But mm-hmm. I just think that, Again, it feels like a potential distraction or like a way for an author to sort of fill in pages. I think people may have felt that way with, and I think it's so funny now after Nimble Dick has seen so much success on the internet, but people, I think maybe felt that way with Brienne's Trek to the Whispers, even though it was fun. They were just like, Sansa's not here and Brienne's not even the main, main character. So what are we doing here? Right. It's kind of like that vibe. It's cool to know what happens to Jorah. I like Jorah a lot and I like Tyrion a lot. And the scenario is cool, and we're so close to Marine. But at the same time, I think it had a lot to do with you saying that it was a filler chapter, like sort of just just this built-in weird prejudice against these characters that aren't clearly moving the plot forward. Dorn, you talking about Dorn in such a bad way? <laughs> <laughs> I I get that. Like I absolutely, I get that. I've always just felt like Penny. I've just always had this kind of weird fondness for her that I can't necessarily put my finger on. And as you're talking about all the reasons why. This is kind of filler, which I totally can agree in a lot of aspects. I don't know why I have this like fondness for her other than I think that Tyrion is so confronted so intensely with who he could have been had he been born into Mm. any other family or in any other place in any other time. And so and as he's so right before they're about to go on and perform for the first time, he's even thinking about. Or was it after? It was it was in the middle as he was doing all of his little tricks. He thinks about how this happened at Joffrey's wedding feast and how oh. it was just as like this was just as funny to these people as that was. He said to them. like contempt and, is universal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeesh. Which I thought was interesting and just kind of another cool callback. But I think that I'm gonna let that slide with a, a character like Tyrion and in Tyrion's journey. I feel like these filler chapters are a little bit more interesting to me just because I care so deeply about him as a character. Whereas I feel like I don't have the same patience or necessarily time of day for a plot line or a family or a set of characters that I'm not as deeply invested in. It's really hard for me to say that anything that Tyrion does isn't going to then have some great monumental impact on the decisions that he makes and as where he's been and who he is and blah, 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 blah. So, mm. um, and I think that so much of this chapter feels like filler even more so because we already have answers to these questions. Like we can't even sit here and pretend like we typically do with these chapters. What's going to happen next? Not that we pretend that but you know we kind of go through these chapters and ask a lot of questions and then talk about how that's going to happen but here it's like I mean I don't know I feel like we could do that but we just talked about it so we can't go through the same exercise but I think what you said about Tyrion uh coming to those decisions and how we like know that or or like what will lead him to make a decision that could like potentially change something or make have a big effect on his storyline I think that watching how Brown Ben plays Syvas is a big influence on him as a person. I think he's the way that he finds a new way, a competitor that actually beats him with his mm-hmm. strategy. 
um, once, once like go against him. It was that was really interesting to Tyrion, and I think that this whole chapter could be a pocket that holds just a little bit of spirit at the beginning, and that um, saving Jorah in the way that he did, but also getting another look at these people and their leisurely environment while they're all stuck together before we go into the camps and surrounded by people that are getting sick and stuff. And we're inside of uh, Yezan's like sort of cloistered existence, you know, how it gets mm-hmm. a little claustrophobic in the next Tyrion chapter. Mm-hmm. And then now with uh, learning more about Brown Ben, but I think less about learning more about Brown Ben and just learning more about Tyrion like this whole chapter might exist just for these little moments, like these little diamonds. And this this little diamond here about seeing Brown Ben's strategy, I think, is super cool. Because I mean, he he has to acknowledge that this is a strategy. It's there mm-hmm. are many strategies in the game of Cyvas, and here's this guy's strategy. And especially for somebody who is in the line of work that Brown Ben is in, and as we think about his history with Daenerys and as we've mentioned what he eventually come he come, eventually comes back around to her he's just playing not to lose not in only in this game of Cybass, but just in his whole MO he's not even looking to be the best or the biggest or the greatest right. he just doesn't want to die and so i think that having understanding who those people are and kind of having them in your pocket is Something that if Tyrion is going to progress to be by Daenerys' side, he's able to read those types of people and situations in a way that I don't think Daenerys is oh, as so easily able to true. do. Just his his opening look at Brown Ben Plum, I thought was it was again another opportunity in a potentially non exciting chapter to hide some diamonds. Think about all the time that we've spent with Brown Ben Plum up until this point, and how many people that we know, or at least have been. Re- introduced to multiple times spend time with him i've never heard anyone have a spot on read like this this was Tyrion's opinion on ben as he was interacting with his new master's guests and stuff it was all a sham those smiles never touched plum's eyes where greed hid behind a veil of caution hungry but wary this one but that's what he's good at that's why he that's why he's able to manipulate situations and people around him is because he knows who people are and so and again, the same thing I've been saying this whole episode, The that quote that you read, he looks and he sees and he notices. And that's why Tyrion is here and not laying at the bottom of the groin. Blackwater Bay. <laughs> right. That's you know, it. I mean, like going all the way back. So I think it was Aziz that tweeted and I might be wrong, but one of our friends uh, tweeted recently about Tyrion not being knighted after Blackwater when literally hundreds of knights were getting knighted after Blackwater. Oh, yeah. Such hypocrisy. <laughs> oh, Tywin. Can you remember that? Like he, uh, he goes from literally making everything turn in their favor to waking up not in his hand's tower anymore, but just in He's some... He's the hero of Blackwater Bay. I know. It's you know what crazy, we should have had? We should have had one of those Brienne moments where it's like really beautiful and everyone's weeping. Maybe we'll get one of those later. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's in the cards for him. Like he's, I don't know. I guess he's kind of like Brienne in that they're not ideal physical specimens or, or whatever in the typical way. Yeah, but when Tyrion becomes Hand of the Queen potentially eventually in the books, mm. that's going to be a magical moment. Yeah, that would be cool. I wanted to go back to the quote from the top of the chapter. Penny did not weep, but her eyes were red and miserable and she never <laughs> lifted them from crunch. Does she think all this might fade away if she does not look at it? Jer- Sir Jorah Mormont looked at no one and nothing. He sat huddled, brooding his chains. Tyrion looked at everything and everyone. And I think that it's probably obvious to all of you, but just saying these descriptions of not only the people, but what they're doing in this moment, it's this weird hum of the universe that George has channeled and saying, this is who they are. I know that this seems like it's a situational description, but this is who they are. This is exactly who they are. And seeing Tyrion in that that situation looking at everyone and sort of gathering all that intel and thinking about i don't think he's thinking about his next move i think he's soaking in the world and being like this is crazy he's uh he doesn't need to be thinking about his next move he's uh hyper focused he's present he's present and what's going on should we read it again the whole chapter (laughs) read that no that quote (laughs) um i wanted to read something else another passage from this chapter that i really really liked um, 
near the beginning if I can stall and find it. Is it about the humidity? No. It was very humid. It is about the beginning. <laughs> You're just going to do syllables until it gets <laughs> there? Got it. I got it. I got it. Um, this is when he's right before he gets sold by the auctioneer. Um, I want to read this paragraph. It says, uh, tearing and sinking this, obviously. He heard the whip before he felt it, a whistle in the air, thin and sharp. Tyrion grunted under the blow, but this time he managed to stay on his feet. Ah, so his thoughts flashed back to the beginnings of his journey when he, when his most pressing problem had been deciding which wine to drink with his mid-morning snails. See what comes of chasing dragons. A laugh burst from his lips, spattering the first row of buyers with blood and spit. And we've had so many of these other characters who are tied up in this whole dragon chase Daenerys Marine battle that's about to happen say similar things of this is what happens when dragons are involved and Tyrion has said something similar before and so I just think like there's this just there's this spirally swirl of momentum towards this battle that we eventually see pieces of as we talked about in our Winds of Winter chapter and everyone's like this is what happens when we're caught up in dragons and I just thought that that was a nice little quit that's the perfect passage it's just not missing anything mm -hmm. do you think that the spiral could be the white walker spiral and that's what it was about <laughs> <laughs> absolutely it's not. so good though he heard he heard it before it hit him he's he's had practice he's been around he knows what's up and i'll skip to the end of that whenever he spits it out on the people in the front row the, the blood from everything that he's going through it's still it, it makes it on them as well as he laughs in a way, in a way that only Tyrion could laugh in the situation that he's currently in, and then he gets sold off to slavery for a very brief amount of time before he makes his great escape. I want to read the description of the Yunkish camp. I know that we talked about it recently uh, during the summer. From I think we did it from Selmy's perspective first because we had Barry first, but uh, mm -hmm. this is the original. And where a lot of the sketches and plans came from. And I was picturing at this point, if George thought, or if other authors do this, I'm sure that they do. And especially more so, I'm, I'm assuming George is doing it for Winds of Winter. Just obsessing over details because people are going to build out the universe. You know what I mean? Like they're going to literally draw it and stuff. Good authors build scaffolding and frameworks that are airtight and work and sometimes it's not airtight and that's you know we're humans books are stories that are taken out of people's heads that hopefully have enough detail to hum with that same power of something that actually exists this thing i i, I got the feeling that he had drawn it or seen it first completely and then was moving around inside of it with his descriptions or at least i hope so but it's it's so good that if he was able to do it without visualizing in that way i'd be really impressed but this is what it is the yunkish encampment was not one camp but a hundred camps raised up cheek by jowl on a crescent around the walls of marine a city of silk and canvas with its own avenues and alleys taverns and trollops good districts and bad i want to stop there when he says that this encampment has good districts and bad, we now see it. We see the bustling metropolis. Even though it's a tent city, we see it. Like we can hear how the long people. It's been there. Like exactly. Like it's like the beginning of Aladdin. Like there might actually be someone running around and having their own little story. You never know. Between the siege lines and the bay, tents had sprouted up like yellow mushrooms. Some were small and mean, no more than a flap of fold-stained canvas to keep off the rain and sun. But beside them stood barrack tents large enough to sleep a hundred men in silken pavilions as big as palaces, with harpies gleaming atop their roof poles. Some camps were orderly, with the tents arrayed around a fire pit in concentric circles, weapons and armor stacked around their inner ring, horses lined outside, elsewhere... Pure chaos seemed to reign. And it goes on to say that uh, six huge trebuchets are raised. They were raided on three sides of the city, all but the riverside, surrounded by piles of broken stone and casks of pitch and resin, just waiting for a torch. One of the soldiers walking along beside the cart saw where Tyrion was looking and proudly told him that each of the trebuchets had been given a name. You, that's 
a big mood that moment right there. <laughs> yeah, here, here's the names. This one's called Dragonbreaker, Harridan, Harpy's Daughter, Wicked Sister, Ghost of Astapor, wink, wink, Mazdan's Fist, towering above the tents to a height of 40 feet. The trebuchets were the siege camp's chief landmarks. Just the sight of them drove the Dragon Queen to her knees, he boasted. And there she will stay, sucking Hisdar's noble cock, else we smash her walls to rubble. Yeah, that's going to work out for you. And the Tolosi Slingers, what did you think about them? The guys that have the sort of David and Goliath-style slings that shoot those nicely polished stones. What did Tyrion say about them? Tyrion made some comment about... He ex- or maybe not. He expected them to not be as useful as bows and arrows. He was questioning yeah. it. I think he was being and a little was racist. He was like, Tolosi slingers, huh? Where are you guys from? Yeah. Tolosi? You guys have slings there? You guys don't use bows and arrows? But then he saw what they were able to do. And he was like, holy crap. It was like a, a bet someone had made. I think someone was in the same camp. They were like, I don't think that these are very useful. You probably aren't even very good at aiming with it. And someone made a, a wager and they had a sling. This actually hits a lot close to home because I had a bike wreck recently and I'm rocking some crutches for the next few days. He slung that stone at someone's knee and it said the knee exploded so bad yes. that the only thing was left yeah. connecting the knee to the lower leg was a was a red tendon, like a dark red like strip of muscle flesh, a tendon. Is that how you feel right now? No, I don't feel oh. that bad. Can you imagine <laughs> being like, you can't hit me with this like rock? It's like, and then your knee explodes. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Holy. And they make they make some uh he, they like make them watch. The slaver. Oh yeah, the is it nurse? nurse is like turning yeah. their heads when uh Penny looks away. Like turns Makes turns her head. Dude, that guy was creepy. Like the little the like the slaps on Tyrion. Like here's this is what's going to happen if you make a mistake later. So creepy. Works out for him though because he gets the easiest out of all time. They're able to escape. I mean, we'll talk about that later. Well, useful. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know. I think at the beginning of this chapter, I mean, look, I do think that there's some pieces of conversation that we can't really like there's nothing to speculate about because we know what ends up happening to all of this stuff that we see. And we know better or better understanding who Brown Brown Ben Plum is. And what his motivations are, sort of, I guess. We see them change to our favor, all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, I do think that some of these wanderings through the camps and kind of seeing all these different things in a more intimate way is kind of interesting. But what was I saying? Who knows? I think you were defending the chapter and saying that it was really good and necessary and that George's author did good by not condensing it into another Tyrion chapter. Yeah. Or not author, his, his editor. Yeah. George's author, a.k.a. Jeff Hartline, Brendan B. Fish. (laughs) (laughs) I love this. That's why he knows what's happening with the Winds of Winter. And Tyrion is uh, still outside the gates of Marine. (laughs) I know. Yes. Still. We're getting close. We're getting very close. Owns? Um, Yeah. I was just saying, should we do our owns? But as I say that, I kind of want to do my own to something I already said. Okay. I want to... Give my own to that moment when Tyrion thinks, see what comes of chasing dragons. Mm. Because as we already talked about for a while, I just think that that's a really great paragraph and a really great moment. And as always, as cliche as it is, this book is called The Dance of Dragons and he's chasing dragons. And I'm a sucker for those moments. (laughs) I also want to give my second dairy own to that line you read nine million times. (laughs) about Tyrion looking at everyone and everything and everyone. I appreciate that quote for really giving us something to talk about. Yeah, for starting off the podcast episode. Thanks. Mm -hmm. So there we go. I want to give an honorary mention to Sweets and their grotesquerie. I thought that uh, Tyrion and Sweets' chemistry was cool. And Sweets was just cool. Sweets was like, you couldn't tell if Sweets was male or female and Sweets was cool with it. And I wonder if Sweets says Sweets' name as often as I do. Like in the third person, probably not. And that's when we discovered that Nurse Deep Down, by Sweets' recommendation, is actually a terrible hell beast that we should fear. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to getting into that more. Tyrion, I think that you should get an own for deciding to save Jorah's life, even though he's been a total dick to you. He's from where you're from, and you guys are in a strange land. I think you should just stick together. 
I don't think that there's anything to be gained by like being happy about people's misfortune. That's one aspect, but I'm not even talking about just being happy about it. In this case, he could have done nothing. And then it would have been not on his conscience because it's not like he did it. It's not like he sold him off into some guy that was going to have him killed and immediately in the slave pits. That's that's not what happened. He actually spoke up and changed it. So I thought that was cool because, like I said, he could have done nothing and not felt bad. But he chose to realize that it wasn't about what technically made him feel bad, but it's what it actually would make him feel weird. And what would have made him feel weird was not at least trying to, to uh, do the right thing. Yeah, to, to do the right thing. I don't think that he ever was under the impression that by having Jorah come along with them, Jorah would be safe and thus they would be safe. But especially being so far from home. I think that keeping people close by that are even somewhat familiar to you is a good strategy and not to burn those bridges just because you can. If he was thinking about what Jorah would have been, what Jorah had done to him in that moment, maybe he wouldn't have made that decision. But I think it says a lot about Tyrion that he wasn't thinking about that in that moment. And you know what they say, live together, die alone. Who says that? It's a lot. It's a quote from Lost. (laughs) (laughs) My own is going to officially go to Yezan for having a strange past that I know nothing about. This is what Sweets told us in the grotesquerie. His eyes are yellow and he stinks. This was after a whole stream of yellow descriptors. And we think that he was drinking lemon water at the slave sale, by the way. So the amount of symmetry this guy has, this guy has is weird, which has a lot to do with, I think, his power, his his position, his influence, and probably his wit. And I got to say, you you got to have a lot of power to be four Illyrios big, which is how he's described. He's also described as yellow Leviathan. Think about the people that are in the slave sale. Some of them are wearing tokars. Some of them have been carried, and he definitely was. Some of them are being fanned. Some of them are being fed fruit. There's different ways of flexing. Hannah and I have just actually been talking about that recently. There's different ways that people are, are out here flexing, and maybe it's different than in Westeros, I think, because they have this very strict sort of uh, noble society where there's a lord here, and da 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 It's like it's kind of hard to trick anyone. But here out east, it's just like what sort of thing are you doing for yourself? Are you wearing a tokar that's extremely incapable or uh, non-reliable in a potential fight? And is one of your breasts hanging out and you don't care? Like that's a lot of not caring. You look pretty cool. This guy is like the ultimate cool. He's allowed himself to get four Illyrios big. I mean, he's like, it's like the ultimate flex. Yes. And uh, he's got some personal tales to back it up. This is what Sweet says. <clears throat> His eyes are yellow and he stinks. Ten years ago, he went to Southeros and he's been rotting from the inside out ever since. Make him forget that he is dying even for a little while and he could be the most generous. Deny him nothing. What was he doing in Southeros? Do we know much about that we place? Don't, no one talks about it ever. This is a, you know, it's like one of those places that are on the map. This would be like a Yt. I mean, a Shai is mentioned a lot. This would be like Carcosa, like one of these strange positions on the map, you know? Like, that people like offhandedly reference right, one but, or two times. But we in the real world reference Southeros quite a lot, but like very rarely is it talked about in the books. So I just found it to be really strange, and George must really like this guy because we find that he's not a terrible slaver or a slave owner, funny enough. And uh, this little fact that he slept, that he snuck in. he mean, he's rotting from the inside out. Right. He probably got stung by, it can't be a basilisk, but it was something, something probably weird, like a mosquito that hangs out with basilisks probably bit him. And it's like, you should not go to South Rose unless you're level 199 people, like not even Euron really wants to go hang out there unless he has a full ship of mutes walking blindly in front of him to get stung by all these potentially dangerous mosquitoes. <laughs> so I think this guy is really mysterious. I think yeah. that he's probably super accomplished and smart. And this is George's subtle way to do it. And there's two more books left. Like we're probably going to get more people that are of the scale of Yezan that we actually like or that don't die and that we hear that about. that we spend time with. Exactly. That actually went there and may have some more tales to share. But right now it's just on the tip of the tongue. It's mysterious. And I'm here for it. That's my own. That's a great own. Well, hey, thanks. I don't think anybody sent us any owns. I guess everyone's still too busy with the new year. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a reason why. Or there's not really anything to say about What about the Tulsi Slingers, everyone? Like, that was pretty brutal. If you want to send in your own... Whether it's about this chapter or a future chapter or 
whatever chapter you're reading right now, you can find us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, at Game of Owns. You can find us on Instagram, at Game of Owns, or on Facebook. You can also send us an email to contact at GameofOwns.com. You could also buy a t-shirt at GameofOwns.com slash shirts. We still have some of those available. We're going to be bringing them to Ice and FireCon. If you're going to be there, it will be cool to meet you and cool to see you. We're planning on doing some fun stuff. Yeah, we're cooking up some Ice and FireCon plans. I have had, I had such a great time. When I went to my first Ice and Fire Con, and I'm really excited to go back. I'm happy for Hannah to go for her first time. There's a really, really big swimming pool there, and it's That's indoor. That's all I need. I know. That's all I need. And there's a hot tub right beside Catch it. Catch me there. Catch me there. I'll be there a lot. And uh, if you want to join us and potentially hang out there in one of those pools of water, if you go to iceandfirecon.com, <laughs> you can... Buy a ticket, and when you do, use promo code GOO so they know that we sent you because we're special guests this year, and we want to keep coming back like that. Should we do a panel in the hot tub? Oh, my God. <laughs> that is a great idea. I know. Wow. Lots to think about. Yeah, um, so that's great. at Deer Creek okay, State cool. Park. You can Google it. It's beautiful. And if you got nothing to do in April or if you just you know want to – Inject some chaos into your life. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see you there. Drive out to a state park in the middle of nowhere and see what happens with all these Song of Ice and Fire fans. You can also find our reading order at afeastofdragons.com. We're nearing the end of our reading order, so we're mostly in dance at this point. But if you want to go check that out, you can find it at afeastofdragons.com. And next chapter is going to be Jamie 1. Jamie. We haven't been with Jamie in a... Actually, no, we have been with Jamie recently. Were we? Anyway, I don't care. I'm excited. When, was, when were we with Jamie last? We had a the last chapter that we did in in Feast is a Jamie chapter. It's the only Jamie chapter in A Dance with Dragons. In Dance, yeah. Oh. So it's like the last Jamie moment that we got before wins because we don't have any of that in the sample chapters. So Gosh. That comes so now are you excited? Too. Do you want to skip it? I'm still? excited. Okay. I'm super excited. Because three seconds ago you said you wanted to skip it. What, what are you talking about? You're making that up. <laughs> it's like cut from the podcast. Yeah, right? I don't you know what you're talking so it's about. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, what sense does that make, everybody? Like, when, I when have I ever know, wanted to skip a whole chapter? I never know what you're going to cut and what you're not going to cut. So it's just like. You never know, honestly. Yeah. Lately, it's Even been whatever. There's a squeaking chair in it. I got to get some WD 40 or something. Your chair is. It ain't it. Very loud. I know. It's true. It's okay. Thanks to everyone for being with us in 2020. Bye.